Hello there, faithful listener. It's co-host Jeremy, and I wanted to bring you my pick for a rewind. We're on break. Maybe you know, maybe you don't know. So we're trying to shine a light on past episodes we wanted to revisit. I admittedly had chosen a different episode initially, but with the passing of Ramsey Lewis, I decided I want to put a spotlight back on Ramsey Lewis. So we're going to go back to the first episode of season two, where we opened up season two with two episodes on Ramsey Lewis. There's also an episode on Funky Serenity with co-host Greg Kaz. So if you dig this, dig back a little deeper, get a little more Ramsey. We even talked about doing a third episode and decided to keep it at two at the time. So anyways, here's Ramsey Lewis, the Ink Crowd. Hope you enjoy it. We'll be seeing you very soon for the start of season four. They're, they're two different Ed Greens? Yeah. How do you know they're different? Uh, well, first off, one spells it with an extra E, but I also checked both their profiles and discogs. Like and three E's? So, I w- G-R-E-E-N-E. <laughs> oh, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> that guy, that, I know. <laughs> Welcome to I'd Buy That for a Dollar, a podcast about inexpensive, common, and underappreciated records that are waiting to be rediscovered. I'm your host, Sean Hartman, casual optimist. I am your co-host, Jeremy Ruggles, compression artifact wrangler. And I am your co-host, Peter Cook, rural cemetery researcher. Ooh, Well, that's us. New format, new season. Yeah, a fresh new way to doing things. It's a little bit different, but a little bit the same, you know? Comfortable yet different. Yeah, here we are. Are you comfortable, Sean? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I'm as comfortable as I can get right now. Got this coconut bubbly in front of me. I'm feeling good about that. Sean's in a different city now. Yeah, how did your move go, Sean? Tell our listeners how your move to Philadelphia went. Yeah, I've been an official Philly resident for a little over two weeks now, and I'm loving it out here. I got to say, the food is awesome. The records are awesome. The uh, flea markets are crazy out here. I've been buying so many records. Yeah, I hear there's thieves at the flea markets. There was one thief the other day. Yeah? It was you. I stole some records from a dealer, but in my defense, to be fair, that person was a racist. (laughs) <laughs> that's what we're going with now huh that's you can that's just all steal from the were races. you encouraged by another dealer to do it i was encouraged by the dealer next to this person i literally went up to the dealer next to him and was like hey man where'd that guy go i want to pay him for his records and he's like i don't know he's always walking off i was like well i'd really like to not steal these and he was like just steal them that guy's an asshole <laughs> when in Rome. Like, all right fair enough bye <laughs> <laughs> 
All right, that that's a little different picture. That feels like you're in the in the right there, I guess. You know, I didn't feel bad about it. I'm just going to put that out there. How's the electricity in Philly? <laughs> I've spent the last five hours getting electrified, as I was told earlier. It's not electrocuted, it's electrified, because I'm currently yes. not dead from it. I don't know, the electricity down in this basement is weird, but I, I think we got it working right now. Fingers crossed, we're going to get through a whole episode. If we hear a humming coming later. through the line, and then you're not there anymore, we will draw our own conclusions and wrap it up. You know, and carry on without you. Carry on, my wayward sons. It's been a good ride. We got a full season in. I'm proud of it. I think we should get into what they, what the people also really tune into here, and that what is, they came for. That is music, cheap records. I'm gonna give them what they came for. Yeah. They needed someone. They needed a strong leader to take the charge for season two, <laughs> and here I am, riding in on my golden chariot. Under my arm, I have one beautiful record by Ramsey Lewis. It is The In Crowd. Now, is that by Ramsey Lewis or the Ramsey Lewis Trio? It's Ramsey Lewis Trio, okay. Who's pedantic now, Sean? The Ramsey Lewis Trio, not just Ramsey Lewis Trio. Sean, I'm going to electrify you. (laughs) (laughs) Don't tempt me with a good time. All right, let's talk about this record. No, let's not talk about it. Let's play a song so people know what we're talking about. They've listened to enough better. talking already. Your terms are acceptable. All right. This one's <laughs> called You Been Talking About Me, Baby. <laughs> From the in crowd.
First of all, Jeremy, I think it's fitting that the first album you bring for season two is a live album. I think you may have, unless I'm mistaken, you may have been the only one to bring live records to season one, and you definitely brought multiple. I think I'm on a run. I I had the Richie Havens in between, but before that... That had a live song on it, though. I was just going to say, Oh, true. Yeah, and then I had like two or three live and like mostly live jazz records, so... Yeah, I'm detecting a theme here, but you know what? It's it's not bad, and I'll, I'll just add, the other thing I have is... I want to get in on this in crowd because this sounds like a really fun performance. True. That's one of the things I really like about this live album in particular is it feels small. Like it feels like you're in a actual club and people are like, you know, hollering and moving around and clapping, but like not like crazy 30,000 festival people clapping. It's like people hanging out in a room. It feels kind of exclusive. Yeah. And this is like almost 10 years into this trio's career, right? So like they're seasoned professionals at this point too. This is 10 years in, and this is also like 20 albums in. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. This uh, These guys were putting in work. They were doing it professionally. And this was recorded at a place in Washington, D.C., correct? True. The Bohemian Caverns. Yeah. Uh, cool name. Which, interestingly, like a year earlier in one of their 20 albums they put out before this was just called Ramsey Lewis Trio at the Bohemian Caverns. <laughs> <laughs> that one didn't catch on like this one did, though. Yes, yeah. So this, this one did uh, catch on. This was 65 right yeah and, and it became a gold selling record yeah it's huge oh yeah huge this, this is one of those albums that just like people that collected jazz in this time period had this record period that's because it's a good record yeah it's and a al- great record and also a lot of people who didn't collect jazz this was like their token jazz record that they could still get down on you know yeah and part of that is probably because of the song the in crowd that was a big hit song around that time. Yeah, it had been, was it Dobie Gray? Yeah, I was gonna, I'm getting way out of whack with my my chronological order, but I don't even care. It's season two. We're getting (laughs) artsy. (laughs) This album was recorded over like a three-night run at Bohemian Caverns in D.C. And, you know, they have their sets planned out And one thing that Ramsey Lewis trio that they kind of been doing on their albums is doing one fun song, they called it, which was usually like a pop or like well-known song that they would throw in there with their, you know, more serious kind of jazz songs. And they were racking their brains at this coffee house in DC trying to figure out what song to do. And... The waitress there was like, hey, what are you guys doing? They're like, we're trying to figure out a song. And she's like, have you heard this song? The In Crowd. And Ramsey Lewis had not. His band was a little familiar with it. So Ramsey puts it on the jukebox and is like, yeah, we're going to do this one. So they arranged the song and played it that night. And it became probably Ramsey Lewis's biggest hit. Yeah, that's so wild. 
I love those like random string of coincidence stories like that. Yeah, especially it seems like it happens more in the jazz world too. It's like you capture that lightning in a bottle effect or whatever of like the nature of jazz is constantly flowing that, I don't know, like it thrives on those moments. Yeah, especially this era of jazz because there was, it was more in the public eye and it was fresh and there was just so much innovation happening year to year. There's new subgenres coming out all the time. So there was, there wasn't really a good formula of like, okay, this is what works for jazz on the radio. People were just like constantly discovering new random styles of jazz that hit well on the radio. Yeah. And you can hear in this, there's like some blues influence later on. Some of the songs or one of the songs I'll play has like more classical influence. There's, I don't know, would you call it post bop? The sort of all over the place uh, feel. Yeah. At times, I guess. Um, Yeah. Ramsey has done that on a lot of his albums where there's just like a huge range of influences going on. He's never been afraid to just pack a bunch of unexpected shifts into the records. Yeah, and he went on to make 80-plus albums. So he went on to record tons and tons and tons of more music. And in an interview I was watching with him when he was like 70-something, he said he was just going to not play the in-crowd for a show or two because he figured people were just sick of hearing it. And he didn't play it, and the crowd went crazy and like were screaming for it. So he went back to playing in crowd, and he just has to play it till the day he dies, probably. Yeah, well, that's all right. It's a good song. Yeah. What was the first one we listened to? What was that one called? That was You've Been Talking About Me, Baby. Yeah. In that one, we could hear some of the liveliness of, and I guess in that case, I don't know if it was the performers or the crowd. Because uh, both are both performers and crowd are having a really good time on this one, vo- vocally. The the more audible vocal stuff you're hearing is is definitely Red Holt and LD Young because they're infamous for doing that, both on yeah, Ramsey the, Records and on Young Holt Unlimited stuff. The drummer and bassist, yeah, respectively. Yep, I really like that. Cool. Well, we've <laughs> talked about in crowd so much. Should we probably I listen just, to that one? <laughs> I want to play in crowd now. Let's do that. And there's crazy audience participation in this one he talks about when they were recording it everybody was up and dancing when this when they started playing this song and the crowd just instantly fell in love and they were like whoa we're on to something here
Speaking of LD Young and Red Holt, the bassist and drummer, respectively, they're one of the best rhythm sections ever. I love those two guys in all of their work. They just they lock in so well. It's got that kind of laid back groove, but still just super funky and driving at the same time. So good. I really struggled to wrap my head around the fact that it's a trio on this album. It kept feeling a lot more full to me. And that might also be the energy of the performers and the crowd, but that's a lot of sound for three individuals. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you could hear the people hollering there and clapping. and Yeah. It's, uh, it's a good time. At some points on this record, the audience seems to be laughing and like there's comedic stuff going on with the performers, maybe stuff they were doing that you, you can't see <laughs> um, in the audio. Could be. Yeah. Never know. I wish I'd been there. Yeah, I know, right? This seems like a good time. Good, clean fun. Yeah. I also detected a little, you guys hear like some Ray Charles in that piano? Oh, Absolutely. I definitely want to talk about that at some point, but you can really hear the Ray Charles influence going on and this record and some other ones too. Yeah. And you know, some of that comes from Ramsey's past. I'll, all right. This is probably where I jump back and do the biography, right? Is it artsy? If I announce the out of order timeline I'm following, <laughs> is it still artsy? It's only artsy. If you don't think about it too much, just go with the flow, man. Okay. Oh, no. Okay. Uh, So he was born in Chicago, 1935, right down the street from Peter and I. Very far from you now, Sean. (laughs) He started piano at age four. His parents were from the south, and they were working on farms down there, moved to the big city. Ramsey started playing in a band called the Clefts that was a jazz group that he, and in an interview I was watching with him, he seemed to have, or at least think he have like no business playing with a band yet at that point. He had been playing with his church, his family's church, and learning piano and getting good at it, but then he goes to play with these guys, and they're just like shouting out a song. He doesn't know it, and he doesn't know how to just jump in and follow yet. So the the band leader of the clefts, instead of getting mad at him, was like, hey, come over to my house. I'm going to teach you some things. He went from there. Cool. Became one of the all-time greats. It's true. I love it when you hear a good story of, like, non-gatekeeping kind of activity going on in the music business, you know? More people should just help each other out. True. You know who wasn't helping out the clefts, though? Uncle Sam. Mm-hmm. The man. The man started drafting the various members of the clefts uh, to go, you know, fight wars and kill people for stopping communism, I guess. Yeah, I'm sure they had good reasons. Yeah. They always do. (laughs) Yeah. No sarcasm. So after, you know, these members were getting drafted out, the only ones left were Ramsey, Red Holt, and L.D. Young, so they just kind of became the Ramsey Lewis trio, not like intentionally. They were just kind of what was left, but they were still playing music together and doing shows, and it just kind of became Ramsey Lewis trio 
as they got signed to a little label uh, you guys may have heard of Chess Records. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. That's right in their area. Yep. Chai Town. I imagine mm-hmm. we're going to hear some familiar names over the course of this and maybe the next episode. Maybe the next episode? Why would that happen? Oh, I don't know. What are you What are you talking about? Should this be the time? Is this an avant-garde enough time to announce that we're doing back-to-back Ramsey Lewis episodes to kick off season two? Why not? At this point, why not? All right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I thought it was a secret. It was, Gosh. but... We're here now, and it seems the appropriate time with 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 how this is going. And that's not to say this is going bad. I'm really, enjoy- <laughs> I'm really enjoying this episode. Yeah. <laughs> Peter's one episode into season two and ready to call it quits. <laughs> He's over it. <laughs> yeah. So in '56, they sign and they start putting out records, and they're putting out like two, three, four records a year through yeah. the next decade. A normal amount. Not a normal amount. That's an obscene amount. <laughs> and, you know, the really fucked up thing is there's like, there's no bad records during this whole run. Like, honestly, the Ramsey Lewis records don't start to get weak until like the 80s. It's it's bizarre. The level when of everything quality. got weak. Yeah, totally. Like exactly when you would expect it to, to get weak. Although, you know, yesterday I was listening to some of his records that he put out over the last like 10, 15 years. And they're pretty good, too. This guy is still slaying at 85 right now. It's amazing. He put out a record last year. And it's good. I listened to part of it. It's good. <laughs> it's so good. I listened to half of it. Yeah. <laughs> I was That's busy. That's an honor from Sean. Making playlists, <laughs> putting work Sean, in here and there. Sean's got 20,000 records. He's grading and moving. So <laughs> under, half a record is is pretty good. High praise. Yeah. Yeah, it's cool he's still with us, though. Hopefully he uh, finds out that this... Michigan, Pennsylvania podcast is doing a double feature on him. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna do another avant garde pop out of the timeline here, and mention this crazy thing I found when doing research. At age 84, Ramsey Lewis was like, "I'm sick of traveling on planes and stuff because I'm 84 and playing concerts." So he decides he's going to retire. Not from music entirely, but from traveling and playing shows. And he decides he's going to start doing just live streamed concerts. And then coronavirus hits a couple months after he makes this decision. Whoa. He could see the future. Yeah, he was ahead of the curve there. And uh, you can go see him play shows right now. Yeah. He also is a radio host still, I believe. Yeah, he's an not he's an award-winning radio host. Yeah, totally. Ramsey hosts a radio show called Legends of Jazz out of Chicago. And he's won awards for it, and he even hosted a 13-part documentary of the same name for public television. Yeah, I was reading that. It seems like he's kind of stepped into this role of the uh, you know, like the elder statesman that is continuing to shine a light for the jazz lessons of yesterday speaking of shine a light and being a figurehead 2002 he lights the cauldron in chai town for the winter olympics torch relay whoa i didn't know that that's cool i got facts left and right bud facts for days over here 
jumping all around the timeline. <laughs> also, I tried to get to the bottom of where the phrase the in crowd came from and did not find out, though I did find out there were two movies of that name. A really bad one from 2000 and one from 1988 that was just the movie Dirty Dancing with the genders reversed. (laughs) Uh, It's safe to say that neither were very big influences on this record. Uh, Well, they both came out way after. I know I'm jumping around here, but try and keep up, Sean. (laughs) I I remember seeing the cover of the 2001 in video stores of the in crowd, but I never watched it. Yeah, that one had like 2% 2% rating on Rotten Tomatoes or whatever. <laughs> it looks shockingly bad. Directed by Mary Lambert. Yes, yeah, so they release this album. They get huge. Like I said, it's a gold record. Ramsey was saying like chess records would call them. They'd be like, hey, we sold 1,000 this week. And they call them the next week and be like, hey, we just sold 10,000 this week. And he keeps thinking like he's at the top and they call him again. Like, oh, we sold 80,000 this week. And it just keeps going up. And he doesn't, he can't even fathom that a jazz record he made is selling as many copies as it was, which is why you'll find it in dollar bins. True, true. Do you know what album Ramsey credits as kind of opening the door for himself and other jazz artists in Chicago and especially on the chess label? No, I didn't. Uh, I'm guessing no. it's something we've talked about. It's not, but it's a record that I think people have suggested we talk about. Ahmed Jamal's Live at the Pershing came out on the Argo label, which is another subsidiary. Uh, actually, well, it's the same label that uh, put out this record, actually. Yeah. But yeah, that was a big surprise hit for the chess records complex at the time. No one saw that one coming. And it, that was a similar thing to this where just everybody had that record. This was a really, really good live record that came out of nowhere and toppled the charts. And Ramsey said in an interview that after that happened, chess started signing a lot more jazz artists that had a similar kind of soul jazz pop crossover appeal. And that's why he got onto the label and was able to have a career and eventually a massive hit with this album far out i didn't even know ahmed jamal albums were in dollar bins i thought they were all expensive so you know live at the pershing if you're gonna buy it online and buy a nice copy you're gonna probably spend like 10 to 15 bucks but it is an album that's everywhere commonly beat up when you find it but you know keep looking you'll get lucky there's they made a lot of them and that one came out in 1958 so it's a little bit before this here's a question i'd like to ask maybe one of you has the answer obviously when we did the west montgomery uh day in the life album uh you know the Iceman's band they, they did come together when did it become common practice for jazz groups to do more contemporary music that was outside of the jazz genre do do versions jazz versions of songs that weren't traditionally jazz was was this kind of were they at the forefront of that here or had people been doing that prior to this too um i think people had been doing that prior to this but it really feels like that took off after this record more Mm -hmm. which makes sense i mean the album is named after a cover it's the biggest hit of his career 
and you start seeing a lot more soul jazz artists doing covers of pop songs after this mm-hmm. which has kind of always been one of my favorite elements of soul jazz i really love hearing all the different interesting interpretations of non-jazz songs yeah so johnny hammond did that as well yep yeah and ramsey followed up this album with there is a version of hang on sloopy which we mentioned recently mm-hmm. that was also one of his big hits yep yep yeah of course went on to do a an album was it all beatles covers or was it mostly beatles covers the is it mother nature's son yeah it's i think it's all let me just double check that real quick it's not any like good reason to double check this but i'm just gonna do it anyways um yeah it's 100 percent beatles from 1968 which that is maybe the hardest record to find of ramsey lewis one of the harder ones that's that's gone up to be about a 20 dollars record at this point but man is it good yeah yeah i didn't think we'd be able to feature that one but worth mentioning it and you know all ramsey records can be easy to find even the the kind of valuable ones because there's still plenty of stores and dealers that have just completely written him off as this dollar bin kind of white bread jazz guy you know that's that's how i was always introduced to ramsey lewis before i actually started listening to the music and then when you dig in it's like wait this this music's incredible why would anybody write this off but you know bonus for the uh, crate diggers out there you're gonna find these cheap if you keep looking yeah and one of the things that makes ramsey great is as you mentioned previously the conglomeration of styles his background I mean, he was classically trained to an extent and went to a music conservatory growing up. So there's some classical influence you'll hear in there, especially in the next song I'm going to play, Spartacus. Oh, yeah. From Spartacus. It's my favorite on this one. And it's a, kind of a mood changer. It, it's a tone shift, I should say, for most of the yeah, other tracks. Yeah, it's that sit down, catch your breath, grab a drink before they're about to go crazy again. But... There's also, uh, as mentioned, some gospel influence from playing with the church where Ramsey says he learned to make the piano sing. That was one of the turning points in his mind, I guess, was when one of his piano instructors was like, play it like it's trying to sing. So you'll hear that in kind of his phrasing and how he plays where it's not just like blocks of chords he like really carries the melody out there. Yeah, that's one of my favorite approaches to soloing, especially in a, you know, improvised pop format like this. When the the solo serves the song more than it just kind of shows off when you get rid of the ego behind it. It just makes it so much better. Yeah. So, I'm going to play Love Theme from Spartacus. Side 1. Wait, no. Side 2. Track one. See, I tried to be like Peter and I messed it up. First try. Thank you. 
was some contemplative and masterful piano playing there. Love that one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and w- when it takes off, really just kind of uh, shatters things. You'll have to. Our listeners will have to uh, check out for themselves where that one goes. Yeah, that one. We just got started into that one. That one, yeah, really blows up. We've talked a couple times in this episode about you know how Ramsey's so good at, at including different kinds of styles and content on his albums, but I also just want to say that even though his shifts can often be unexpected, they never feel out of place, which I think is a is a pretty big distinction. Some artists will just try things just to try it, whereas you know when he makes those left turns, it just it still works as an album. It all flows well and it's interesting. Yeah, yeah, he knows how to shift around, shapeshifter. Mm-hmm. I don't even know because I am only covering through Ramsey Lewis Trio, and I know nothing. As far as I know, <laughs> the band breaks up, and that's it. Oh, I, I let the cat out of the bag. The band breaks up a couple albums after this album. Mm-hmm. 1966, no. right? The trio is done? Yeah, about one year after this album comes out. Mm-hmm. And Ramsey was talking about it in the same interview that I've referenced a few times. And it's, I don't know enough about him to know how seriously to take it, but he seemed to attribute it to jealousy as a big part of it, that they split the money evenly, which is already, you know, a lot better than how a lot of rhythm sections are being treated in the jazz world at that time. Yeah, definitely. But his his name is like the name people know it by, and he attributes, you know, the band being jealous of the fame, I guess, that he's getting. That makes sense. I could see that. I always kind of wondered what the reason was for the split, because the rhythm section just starts their own group that sounds remarkably similar to the Ramsey Lewis trio, even though it's still amazing. But it's like, why why'd they split? <laughs> neither one of them was trying to make super different records, at least over the next couple of years after this. But They became the non-Ramsey Lewis duo. Yeah. After this. No, they became they... Young Holt Unlimited. Yeah. Well, and like we said, these guys have been working together extensively for like 10 years. Constant touring, nightclub dates, constantly pumping out records it's really not surprising that they might have just gotten a little sick of seeing each other after a while. Yeah. Yeah, it's good that we don't see each other anymore in this podcast. <laughs> I'd never get sick of you boys, never in a million years. Aw, I'm going to hold you to that. <laughs> We're going to do this podcast for a million years. I'm ready. <laughs> I'm game. They break up, and it's the end of Ramsey Lewis as the Ramsey Lewis Trio. And that's as far as I'm going. You know, as far as I know, that's the end of Ramsey Lewis. Okay. Not another note was made, right? Well, would you, Am be- I wrong? would you believe it if I told you that a lot more notes were made? Oh, my. Would you believe it if I told you that we literally talked about his other records after this earlier on this episode? <laughs> <laughs> but how could I learn more about this? Well, tune in next week right here at I'd Buy That for a Dollar, available wherever fine podcasts are purveyed, uh, and we'll talk about it. I was leaning into the cheese there. Yeah. 
We're jumping ahead to 1973 with Funky Serenity. Yeah. Correct. I'm excited about that one. I have been wanting to do a Ramsey Lewis episode since pretty much this podcast started. In my mind, Ramsey Lewis could be like the king of bargain bin records because the amount of incredible quality stuff that you can find on the cheap from this guy is pretty much unparalleled in the music industry. And I've been thinking for a long time, like, man, if I do one Ramsey Lewis record, which one is it going to be? Because he's got so many different interesting periods and lineups. And I decided that if I was going to do only one, it was going to be Funky Serenity. And then we decided to do two episodes. So now that we've recorded the beginning of the next episode, should we wrap this one up? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) No, I'm excited for that one, too. It's going to be a real... uh, drastic turn from this one sure do we want to talk about the uh extra special new season two feature where we have yeah, yeah we got all list. kinds of new stuff for season there's two. more there's yeah. more so something we slash i have decided to do is we are going to be making special playlists on spotify every week for these episodes they will feature a couple tracks by the artists that we featured as well as contemporaries influences similar things i'm making an effort to keep most of it within the i'd buy that for a dollar price format a few things will drift a little bit outside of it but gonna try real hard not to include any like three figure super rare records that you're never gonna actually find in real life but uh we will be posting a link to that on our various social media sites. So keep an eye out for that. I'm excited about and it. You also you also wanted to mention though that we in no way support Spotify and or especially their CEO. Yeah. I just want to say that it's really fucked up that the richest musician in the world, Paul McCartney, is worth less than half of the amount of money as the fucking like 32-year-old CEO of Spotify. That's so dumb. But anyways, it's the biggest site, and that's what we have to use because there's no ethical consumption under late-stage capitalism. Am I right? Correct. Yeah. Uncle Sam wants you dead. <laughs> well, anyways, uh, check out the Spotify playlist to hear one song from the in-crowd that we didn't play, as well as a Young Holt Unlimited track. And then here's some tracks by similar artists, such as Ray Bryant, Mongo Santa Maria, the Cannonball Adderley Group. Jack McDuff, Hugh Masekela, The Three Sounds, and Ray Charles. We mentioned the uh, Ray Charles connection. I've included a Ray Charles Live at Newport track where he's playing just straight jazz. And then there's a Ramsey Lewis Trio record from the 1963 album Barefoot Sunday Blues called Salute to Ray Charles. And I also have some Ray Charles covers by the groups The Three Sounds, Herbie Man, and yeah. It's going to be good. We're going to have a new one every wow. week. Wow. Hope you like it. Well, that's that's a lot for people to chew on, I think. Let's, yeah. let's leave them there. All right, cool. Until next week, friends, my name is Jeremy. I'm Sean Hartman. And I'm Peter Cook. What are we going out on, Jeremy? We are going to leave the people with maybe my favorite one. I really like this one. It's called Come Sunday. <laughs>